This is Hormoz Magiri. And this is Amir Etamadzadeh. Welcome to Lean Leadership, Leadership Academy, Academy Podcast. Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lean Leadership Academy. I'm here with Mr. Mogari. How are you, Mr. Mogari? I am fine. Thank you very much. Fantastic. So today we're going to talk about... Let me start with this question, Mr. Mogari. What does come to your mind when you first hear the word relationship? In my opinion, relationship explains about effective communication between parties. It is discussing mutual respect in private, in public, and in between. It's talking about self-confidence on both sides. People feel valuable in the presence of the other person. And having the commitment to improve that relationship comes to mind. So in other words, when two people are in relationships or two groups are in relationships, they should accept their reality and commit to improve that on a regular basis. So when, when I hear the cliches like be yourself, be yourself all the time, it makes me think if being yourself is nothing to write home about, my suggestion is not be yourself. Don't be yourself and change and become better and, uh, and do what it helps to grow the relationship. Yeah, and if we be honest, Everywhere we look around ourselves, there is a relationship. There's a relationship between me and myself. There's a relationship between peoples and their pets and between human beings, between businesses. And all these little relationships makes our life, basically. There's a philosophy, Mr. Morari, that says the purpose of life is to live happy. And basically, happiness is the purpose of life. Now, I want to ask you first, do you agree with that statement? And second, if relationships has anything to do, if at all, uh, with this statement? Definitely, when we want to continue our relationship, we are thinking about our happiness. If the person that I'm having a relationship with makes me feel more important, more valuable, more substantial, and more happy, then I would like to continue that relationship with that person. Or with that group, any place you go, you go to a barber shop, and he or she knows you by your first name, you feel good about that relationship. And the reason you go over there is not because he or she gives you a better haircut or he or she's price is better. It's because it makes you feel better in his or her presence. But when we say the purpose of life is being happy, it's very questionable for me. I don't believe life is supposed to be that shallow. Happiness is much shallower and something else. And that something else, in my perception, is meaningfulness. When you find meaningfulness and you are happy as a result of being meaningful, I'm all for it. I don't have any problem if person becomes happy as a result of being meaningful. But happiness by itself, it could be that you are so shallow that you are happy by an ice cream happy by a good movie, happy by a very short-lived experience. And that is not good or happy sometimes by seeing somebody else in trouble. And you might be asking, what? Happy by seeing somebody else in trouble? And the answer is yes. There is a psychology term that is German, I believe, the origin of it, and is schadenfreude. 
Schadenfreude simply means that I have a pleasure, I take pleasure as a result of somebody else's setback. Now, that is happiness too. However, it is nothing to write home about. Oh, it is pleasure, which is the lowest type of enjoyment. Then it is happiness, it is somewhere in between. And then there is meaningfulness. I believe people who are happy as a result of being meaningful, they got it made. Fantastic. And relationships are basically a tool, what I'm hearing, to make more meaning out of life. Is that correct? That is correct. And uh, that is the only way that we have to deal with one another in a humane society. We, the only tool we have that we can gauge each other, we can start communication, is relationship. And more masterful we become doing this, doing the relationship, the more enjoyable and meaningful life will be. Yeah, I hear that because I can be happy by myself eating, you know, a bag of chips, for example, but mm -hmm. I cannot really give meaning to my life unless sure. I am creating something for somebody else's use or if I'm helping somebody or if I'm writing a book which will benefit other people in the future. Thank you for bringing that up because a lot of people do not pay attention to having a meaningful life and people are basically their minds are set on, okay, if I'm happy, that's enough. And that's a very good point. So going uh, along the same ways with happiness, a lot of people say, let's have a quality time together. I wanted to bring this up right now and ask you, does quantity versus qu uh, quality make a difference in relationships? It's a good discussion. It's perhaps mathematical, physics, or even psychological discussion. But before that, we have to understand that everything by longevity requires refinement. This is what my late mentor, Mr. Jim Rohn, used to say. Everything by longevity requires refinement. And as a result, we should regularly make sure the quality of relationship is there and is being improved. But when it comes to quality versus quantity, you have to understand that quality is a function of quantity. It means that whenever we want to gauge a quality of something, that something must exist first before we can talk about this quality. Therefore, the person who said quality relationship and he came up with the phrase quality time, I don't think he was much liked by his spouse because quality is a function of quantity. You cannot have 13 minutes quality time with your family per day. It has to be a long quantity period. I remember when our kids were small, they were toddlers, for various reasons, we would put them in the car with my wife, and on weekends, we would take them to Los Angeles, which is about a six-hour drive from here, from where I am. And the main reason, of course, we were very happy to see the relatives and family members in L.A., but the main reason was to have six hours uninterrupted with the kids in the car and talk and ask questions and go to the rest area and have some juice or drinks on the way and have lunch before we get there. And that quantity time, if was uh, mixed with quality, that would be something substantial. 
Thank you so much for bringing that up because a lot of people just think, it, you know, a short amount of time that is called quality time is enough. But I can completely understand that we cannot have quality time unless we spend enough quantity uh, of time with someone or our kids or our family. Thank you so much. That's very important. So now that we are um, this far in our discussion, can you talk to us about the different types of relationship that one person may have? Sure. There are basically three different types in my perception. One could be the professional relationship, or I call it formal relationship, that happens mostly at work. And that one is strictly work-related. Of course, in different cultures, it's different. Strictly work-related. It doesn't mean that it cannot be friendly and close, but the focus, the main focus is on work. People are friendly and close and hospitable because they want to get something done or because they want to manage a project, because they want to achieve some goals at work. And that one, even though it's friendly, uh, but it is very different in different countries and different cultures. And we need to make sure that we do not uh, confuse friendliness with lack of formality. For example, in some cultures like U.S., it is not very formal when we meet on a professional basis, but that doesn't mean that we can arrive at the meeting late or we can be seen in our shorts and slippers when we come to the formal meeting. Yes, they are friendly. Yes, they are forgiving. But no, the focus is on work. So that is one of the main types, professional or formal. Next one. It gets a little bit less formal, and I call it social gatherings or casual. And that is the parties after work, when people get together and go out to have dinner or drink. And that one is less formal than the first one. But, uh, and, and you have day-to-day -day acquaintances with people that you used to work. Now they loosen up their ties. They roll up their sleeves and they will go and sit down and they shoot pool or play ping pong or have a drink or what have you. It may lead to intimate relationship, but it doesn't have to. Now the same serious person at work becomes closer and more friendly with uh, others on the team. But that doesn't mean that it is automatically an intimate relationship to start with. Nevertheless, even in this case, like the formal relationship the interaction with people is very friendly as well so we got formal or professional casual and social gathering yes. and then the last one is personal or affectionate personal and affectionate is talking about intimate relationship this is a time that people get much closer to one another requires extended time and experience and knowledge about one another. And it is very important, in, especially in this part of, in this kind of relationship, the commitment grows exponentially. In other words, if you are committed to your project, if you are committed to your social gatherings, your commitment in intimate relationship should be quadruple if you want to make sure that you have a good personal and affectionate relationship. 
And even over here, it should be very friendly at the same time. Thank you for explaining to us about these three different types of relationships that we may have. I'm going to start with the first one, the professional relationship that we have in business settings. And um, I want to ask you, how would the different cultures affect the way that we relate with people in business settings? The word culture is key word, and we have to underline it over here. Throughout my travels, six different countries in addition to the United States that I work, I realized that even in professional setting, the cultures are very, very different in different countries. For instance, when I go to Armenia and Brazil, they are quite friendly and very casual, even in the most formal types of relationship. It's like you see your own cousin, so to speak. But in countries like Japan, they spend a lot of time getting to know you in the beginning. But then when they get started talking about business, they don't want to get it mixed with casual stuff. Then their only focus is to get results, to achieve something, to make sure that you stay on the right track. In the US, if you spend a lot of time in the beginning getting to know the other side, it will be perceived as maybe being nosy or wasting time. So over here, you shake hand, you introduce one another, you exchange business cards, maybe you say nice to meet you, and then just get down to business. If you do the same thing in Japan, you will be seen as rude. And I jokingly say that you have to drink 13, at least 13 green teas with the Japanese before you can even talk about business. If you don't want to spend that preliminary time, the warm-up time, I call it, to getting to know the other side, you will be seen as a person who is not experienced, who doesn't care that much about business or about other side in Japan. And it's quite opposite in America. If you spend too much time, you are wasteful. You are careless about somebody else's time. You don't pay attention to other person's time. You don't respect that other person's time. So it's very different, but really it is not that difficult to get to know other cultures. It takes, in my perception, it takes maybe about half an hour at most to get to know how Brazilians do business, how British do business, how Canadian do business, how Chinese do business. And based on that, accordingly, you can control the type of relationship that you want to start over there or initiate. Yeah. Thank you so much. How would people, how would someone, let's say I have never had any acquaintances with any Japanese, how would I go about establishing a good relationship if I don't know enough about the culture? It is very easy to learn the culture, learn about the culture. It's a completely different thing to learn that culture and uh, behave as such. But if you want to get an interview at IBM, for example, I think it would be very advisable for you to sit in your car, the parking lot of IBM for a few hours. Observe how people get off their car, how they are dressed, are they in a hurry going to work, how do they exactly manage themselves and conduct themselves in the parking lot, 
and kind of have an idea what kind of culture the organization has. The country is the same way. I'm sure that you don't go directly from airport to the interview or to the sales meeting in Japan. You see how Japanese behave and respond to you at the airport. You see how they give you service, how polite they are, how carefully they fold the money before they give you back, how carefully they give you your ticket and how patiently they will tell you where the gates are, where the bathrooms are, and etc. And you realize you are completely in a completely different world because the rest of the world doesn't spend that much time doing this. So you learn. So you have to be patient. You learn in Japan, people take time for one another. Even though the misconception is that Japanese don't have time to scratch their heads because they're working so much, they're workaholics and etc. But we just need to ask anybody an address on the street. If they speak your language, you are willing to spend 45 minutes straight, Mr. Lunchtime, if necessary, to show you how to get there. And this is the amount of affection that they have for another human being. When you are in that culture, you cannot help it by notice this, and then you will have to put it into your mannerism as well. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much, Mr. Mori. We have reached the end of our time for this podcast. Is there any last word you would like to share with our audience? The only last word is now that we discussed these three different types of relationship, the trick is to know not to get a mix uh, with each other prematurely. For example, attractiveness doesn't necessarily mean intimate relationship. If two people are attracted to each other because they like the way the other person thinks or they like his, his or her writing or the way he or she speaks, that doesn't mean it is automatically intimate relationship. Genders and relationships are different in different culture. We got to be very careful about that. We cannot treat genders the same way in all cultures. In some cultures, you're not supposed to shake hand with the opposite gender. And if you don't know that and you want to give him a hug, of course, you mess it all up. You have to be respectful of that. Then you need to know the norms in those different cultures. What is the norm? How do you sneeze? How do you cough? How do you say, excuse me? How do you hold the door or not hold the door for the next person? And those are all uh, factors that allow you to have good relationships. And also doing business is the last thing. Maybe you can attract a lot of friends in different cultures. That doesn't mean that you will automatically be successful in the business arena as well. And with all the Corona stuff that is happening, we don't even know if there is any future for handshakes. Thank you so much, Mr. Mori. And thank you to our audience for staying with us and listening to this podcast. Again, if you have any questions, you can visit us at llausa.org. Until next time, stay safe. Thank you. This was a production of Lean Leadership Academy. For more information, please visit llausa.org. Thank you.